Welcome to the Eastern Oklahoma Catholic Podcast, your source for all things Catholic in the Diocese of Tulsa and Eastern Oklahoma. The first bishop in Oklahoma was Bishop Mearshart. When you read his journal, and he actually left a journal, which is really cool, that a bishop who was here before Oklahoma was a state Mm -hmm. and was traveling around by canoes and horses and buggies and trains and in every other manner— when you read that, you get that sense of what was going on. He's brand new in what's the Indian Territory. He's been assigned to the whole thing. Right. He doesn't even know where all the boundaries are of the thing, you know. He immediately is going to parishes, and when you see what he does, he, he arrives in a town. Everybody turns out to see him. Most are not Catholic. They just want to see anybody. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. Bishop, yeah. They got no TV. They got no internet. They got no radio. Everybody's looking for something to, new to happen. Welcome to Tulsa Time with Bishop Condola. I'm Adam Minahan. It's great to have you guys back. It's uh, We've been very busy here in the diocese over the last, uh, what, six, seven days since we've, we've been <laughs> together. We had a huge conference that we held, thanks to Sarah Jameson and her department. Um, over, Bishop, I think the final count was almost 600 people. 600 and just over it. Just over, yeah. And the guy that we had on our last podcast was one of the speakers. That's right. Kent. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So uh, today we're welcoming Derek Lissy to our podcast. He works with us here at the Chancery, the the uh, head of our development office and efforts. And, it's good to have uh, you back, Derek. It's great to be back. You know, that conference, of course, the, the formation conference, annual formation conference, is one of the fruits of our Faith and Works Appeal, which we'll talk about some today. But yeah, that was a very—I I heard from people who said they've been to all 27 or, or been to the conferences 27 years in a row and said this was the best one, they thought. Um, the topic was very uh, timely, mm-hmm. uh, speaking about issues surrounding morality and living the moral life. Uh, the moral life really, I think, is simply a— our ability to reflect back to God his love for us. That's, in my mind, that's a good way to describe it. I was thinking of this, because I'm going to be talking to teachers soon as well about uh, the moral life and teaching morality in the classroom and so forth. And uh, one thing you can tell kids, uh, good rhymes with should, because bad rhymes with sad. And that's an easy way for kids to to grasp the idea that we're made for good, the reason why there's a should attached to things that are good is because we're made for it. Uh, In the same way that, you know, a a good diet is a should, we should eat a healthy diet. We don't, but but we should. Right. I don't. I'll be the first to admit, (laughs) Uh, but we should. And bad because bad is contrary to our nature. Things that we do that are bad are contrary to our nature, and things that we do that are bad put a distance, a a, um, a divider, in a sense, between us and God's love. 
it's like going in the house. The love is always shining, like the sun mm -hmm. these days is always shining. Uh, but if we go in the house, we don't we don't feel its effects. And similarly with God's love, if we if we move away from Him, mm -hmm. it's harder for Him to impact us. So the speakers, in one way or another, were uh, covering these topics. Uh, the people seemed very into what was going on and all the different talks. Mm -hmm. And um, we had, of course, as we always do, we had a Spanish and English track and some parts bilingual and so forth. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I was really um, jazzed by the day. I thought it went real well. Sarah does such a great job of the logistics of that oh, yeah. whole thing. I mean, conferences like that are always about logistics. Mm -hmm. And... You have to have a, a mind for that, you know? Yeah, I mean, when, when 2023's uh, conference started that day, about a week before that, the planning for 2024 has already begun. Right. Right? So the amount of work that it takes to build up this kind of conference takes a long time. Yeah. Um, and to be intentional about it as a Catholic, right? So you start out with with Holy Mass. Yeah. You know, and then you have break, you know, you know, these breakout sessions and you have adoration and confession. Uh, I heard uh, from from a, a priest that there were several several people who'd been to confession hadn't been to confession in a long time and mm -hmm. had the opportunity to go uh, yeah. at our conference, which I mean, to me, that's the highlight, right? Yeah. Like when people get a chance to sit in front of the, the blessed sacrament and they get a chance to uh, reconcile with our Lord through the sacrament of, of confession, and then they get to be with other Catholics throughout the diocese. I mean, this is what sure. the conference really is, is the highlight in my opinion. Yeah, and again, what you're saying about uh, organization, she was already announcing next year's speakers. Right. So you already have to have everything <laughs> lined done. up. That's right. The speakers for the next one before you even do this one. Mm -hmm. Edward Shree coming mm -hmm. next year. That will be awesome. The Augustine Institute is known by many people in the diocese. We had a number of students every year at AM heading off to do some further studies at the Augustine Institute. So we look forward to welcoming him back. I was in the confessional, um, hearing confessions in the room, and that's, you know, you always also put together your list of, okay, what can we do better? Mm -hmm. What should we do something different about? And, you know, if you have a hotel ballroom and you have adoration set up in the front part of it, and in the rear part of it and around the walls, you have confessionals set up, but they're just screens, they're just cloth screens. It's hard to get the music right. That's right. In terms of the music being loud enough so the people who are at adoration are not bothered by the music or hearing the confessions. Mm -hmm. Neither of those is good. And so uh, we want to work on that, I think, is think through how can we do that. And, you know, I was noticing at the World Youth Day, they had these kind of booths. Right. And so you have three, they would have three wood sides. Uh, for each uh, priest sitting in it. And the Pope, of course, was manning one. That was right, pretty that cool. That was pretty cool, yeah. Imagine that, going to confession to, to the Pope. Um, so maybe something like that, because it helps to deaden the sound so you don't need such loud music and so mm -hmm. So anyway, we'll, we'll look into that. Um, I did a little talk on uh, the problem of evil, uh, or another way to think of it is the phenomena or the marvel 
in a sense of evil. Evil is a marvel or a phenomena in a similar way that a black hole is, because a black hole is this dense point of gravity, so dense that even light can't escape it, and evil is an absence of the good that should be there. So evil is not actually a real thing, it's not a substance, but we have we have fought against this notion of dualism, perhaps throughout all of our history as a race. Uh, you see it in all of the ancient texts, ancient literature. Mm -hmm. Part of the organizing principle of the book of Genesis was even to tell the truth against the, um, the various tribal myths surrounding the uh, chosen people to tell the truth about how the world was created as opposed to these myths, which were all dualistic. Mm -hmm. They all had some version of uh, evil matter and good spirit and there being a war between them. But these two are essentially equal, mm -hmm. such that they can war. And so we don't believe that. We believe that there's only God who is good. Good is a real thing because it participates in God's life. Evil is not a real thing because evil is a lack of the good that should be there. Now, evil has effects. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We experience evil effects. And so... Just like, like hot and cold, right? You know, like you can't continue getting colder. You can only remove the heat, right? And right. Light and dark, hot and cold. Yeah, cold is the absence of heat. Mm -hmm. Heat is a thing. Right. Heat is a substance. In right. the universe, it's cold. Right. Because... Unless there's some substance there to create the heat, mm -hmm. there's no heat. Yeah. yeah. Now, um, Derek, there's been a lot of people who are probably like uh, very, they, they know who you are. You've, you've, been, you've worked for the diocese for, for a long time. You took a little leave of absence is what I like to call it. So, uh, <laughs> just a leave of absence for just a little bit. Um, maybe kind of catch people up with what's going on in, in, in your family, in your, in, your, in your work life, like what you've been do up to. Absolutely. Yeah. So for the last year, I spent the year as a chief development officer for a Catholic charter management organization called Seton Education Partners um, and kind of went through a discernment period this summer uh, alongside Bishop and Father Castle to to make a return. And, and my wife, Whitney, and I, we we prayed about, you know, kind of what God was calling us to and calling me to as a father and a husband. And, and so we just welcomed our fifth child. Um, mm. So very excited. Our our fourth Oki baby. So, um, so you know, we're we got more Okies in the house than we do. Oh, ours. that's right. So, oh, so anyway, that's... so it's uh, so it's it's very fun. And and so we have um, five children. Our oldest is in second grade, Joseph. He's almost eight. Um, and then we have Caroline, who's almost six. Isaac, who's almost four, and Anthony, who's almost two. Right. And so, and then little Agnes is our new baby. So, so we're very busy at our house. Everybody always asks us, you know. How do you sleep? And I just tell them, well, we don't. So, <laughs> we had, as most people know, we had 12 children under the roof. And my parents, 14 people under the roof, of what at the time seemed, I don't know, it seemed like a big house. But whenever I see it in my adult years, sure, I think... How in the world did we ever get 14 people in there? Fit in that house. Which means my parents, of course, adults at the time, mm -hmm. were experiencing it as adults experience it. And um, fortunately, it was on a corner lot, so we had big yard, 
So we spent most of our time outside because mm-hmm. otherwise, oh, <laughs> you know, the way families tend to live now, the kids are inside, I think, more than, than in the past. Well, yeah, with the air conditioning. Did you guys have air conditioning? We didn't have air conditioning. We had, uh, growing up, we had a swamp fan. Now, you have to be of a certain age to even know what a swamp fan is. A swamp fan was a, a device that had a squirrel cage fan. It was a box. The box, most of it sat outside the window, like a window unit air conditioner. Uh-huh. And a hose, there was a pump in it. You put water in it. The pump pumped the water over this kind of a, think of it like a cloth filter that was uh, lining the back part of the box. So water's filtering down through this filter, and air is being sucked through that water cooling it off as it's happening and so that's humidifying the air and cooling the air and then that's blown into the house and so that was better than nothing and eventually and i was probably 12 or something when we did actually get our first window unit uh, air conditioner and it was in the downstairs living room so most of us kids slept in the living room during the summer because that was yeah, the coolest, that, that coolest was, turns out that that downstairs living room ended up being the favorite room of all the house. That's right, of the whole house. Yeah, that was funny. <laughs> so, um, Derek, you just to catch people up. Yeah. What What are all the roles in which you are now taking over for for the diocese? Absolutely. So, um, I'm returning to the diocese still in a development capacity. So, as chief development officer, overseeing all advancement operations for Bishop Condorla and for the Chancery for the Diocese at Large, which includes our Faith and Works Annual Appeal. It includes Veritas, which is our tax credit scholarship organization. Mm-hmm. Um, it includes um, fundraising for various initiatives, whether it be our communications team, which is coming up. So stay tuned for that's that. That's right. That's sure right. We get your, get your gift in for communications this year, um, which also includes seminary and education. It includes all you know major gift efforts for specific initiatives brought forward by the bishop. If we were ever to do a diocesan-wide capital campaign, we mm-hmm. would, I would also um, head up that process as well. Right. Um, all plan giving, you know, grants, you know, all those things. But you know what? What may be useful for people is to understand in a broader way. Uh, both a diocese and then what something like a development office would be doing or be needed for. And so one way to think about that is to think about what is the diocese. The diocese is a collection of parishes around a bishop. I could literally come here and theoretically could work out of my truck. You know, I mean, I could, it could be as simple as that. Mm-hmm. Me, no other employee of the diocese, yeah. no other office or entity in the diocese, just the bishop driving around, uh, being with the people. When I was a new bishop and went to the baby bishop school in Rome, I met a bishop there who was from, I think, somewhere in Syria. And he was young, young guy. Uh, and he had just been assigned as a new bishop of a diocese there. And he told me that his diocese had six parishes. That's all there was. Wow. And all the parishes were blown up. <laughs> all six of his parishes, having come through the war that's continuing, had been blown up and you know, to one degree or another. And so 
I thought a little about that. I was just trying to imagine, okay, so what would that be like? And it would be a little like what I'm describing. You start with nothing, and you build from there. You start building up, but you build with the people. So the church, and thus the diocese, is all about the people of God and God and the relationship between them. However, in the church developed as it is now in this country and around the world, the bishop typically wants to have more than just himself. He needs other people to assist doing things, because as soon as the bishop arrives, he's going to start organizing things among the parishes. You know, if one reads um, the first bishop in Oklahoma was Bishop Mearshart, when you read his journal, and he actually left a journal, which is really cool, that a bishop who was here before Oklahoma was a state mm -hmm. and was traveling around by canoes and horses and buggies and trains and in every other manner, uh, left a journal. When you read that, you get that sense of what was going on. He's brand new in what's the Indian Territory. He's been assigned to the whole thing. Right. He doesn't even know where all the boundaries are of the thing, you know. Right. He doesn't have a GPS, you know. And so he immediately is going to parishes, and when you see what he does, he, he arrives in a town. Everybody turns out to see him. Most are not Catholic. They just want to see somebody. anybody. Yeah. <laughs> yes. See a bishop, yeah. They got no TV. They got no internet. They got no radio. Everybody's looking for something to, new to happen. And so here's this bishop coming. Okay, what's a bishop? Let's go see what that looks like. Uh, the mayor gives him the key to the city or something, right? Mm -hmm. But what's he doing? He's thinking, okay, I need a school here. Uh, he's looking for a piece of land in the town to buy so they can have a school. I need a church here. If there's not a church already, usually there wasn't. Where are we going to put the church? He's already thinking we got to organize these things so that we can more efficiently do and, and better do the work of evangelization. Well, that's continued all the way till today. So uh, if the bishop arrives and he's got nothing, he's going to need to set up uh, a catechetical office, for example, to help the, the uh, parishes catechize the kids. He's going to need to set up a school office because we got to get these schools built and running and then somehow organize their efforts together. He's going to want to have various councils. Presbyteral council is one that's uh, in canon law for the bishop to set up so that the priests are working collaboratively together. And so these kinds of efforts that provide services and ministries to parishes that they couldn't provide themselves, uh, think of the seminarians. He's definitely going to be looking for for new priests. Priests. That's, yep. a, that's a theme that runs throughout Mearshart's journal, is where is he going to find priests for this new place. He, yes, okay, seven years later, he can have seminarians being ordained, but in the meantime. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, parishes can't afford to educate uh, numerous priests. Most can't. Certainly back then they couldn't. So, there needs to be a collective effort. How are we going to get these men educated and so forth? And so, that continues on to today, uh, such that now in the modern church, 
um, Church in the Modern Age. That's a great title for a document out of the Vatican Council. Um, <laughs> in the Church in the Modern Age, we even have uh, offices that are staffed by people like Derek to help the bishop identify people who have been blessed by God such that they are able to contribute beyond their own charitable works, their, their own parish support, and they want to contribute also to the wider church and the efforts of the wider church. And so that's what our uh, development officers do is help us to organize that work. Yeah. I like the way you describe that is, is my role is to, you know, bring those people forward to you. I, I often describe my role to others who ask about fundraising because mm -hmm. fundraising is often done in a time of burden or a time of something, a catastrophe happens. Yeah. And so we need money to fix this problem. And so when folks think about the concept of raising money, they think, oh, that must be a burden for you to actually go get the funds. But I often see myself as sort of a wire connector to connect good ministry with wonderful, wonderful people yeah. um, who have a great heart and a great affinity towards helping and wanting to, you know, be generous with their time, their talent, or their treasure. And so um, I like the way you describe that. I, I used to I used to use the image of a garden when I was in campus ministry. Uh, I spent one day a week just going to visit donors in Houston, San Antonio, Austin, uh, from Bryan, because that's where most of our families of our Aggies were, and many of the alumni. And I always imagined to myself as a person who held the keys to an amazing garden. And my job was to go out and introduce people to that garden, let them know that we had such an amazing garden and what it was and why it was such an amazing garden, and to see if they were looking to visit such a place. Would they like to get to know such a place? Would they like to help make the garden uh, grow? And so that was how I conceived of doing uh, development work or what we call, you know, fundraising is sort of the smaller title for for what development is. Development is really helping people who have a passion for something and who have means to unite those two things together with something we're doing, mm. uh, to look for what are the passions that they have around the things that we're doing. A great story. It was always such an emblematic story that came from uh, campus ministry days. It was about a, a gentleman in... Um, Texas, who was a, an Aggie alum and was a petroleum guy. He was one of these big oil guys. And the university had, over the many years, asked him for various gifts to the petroleum engineering program. And they had received some gifts from him, but the gifts were never commiserate with his ability because this was a very, very wealthy individual. And he gave much larger gifts to other things as well. But one day, it accidentally happened one day that he was seated on an airplane next to the director of the aerospace uh, program, no, the astronomy program at A&M. And they got into a conversation, these two men, and discovered through the conversation that this oil man had, since he was a little boy, a fascination with astronomy and with the stars. 
And A&M was at the time building a large telescope that was going to be launched, hmm. uh, helping with the building of the telescope. And so he ended up giving a something like a fifty-plus million dollar gift to the university because they finally found his passion. He he did oil. I mean, he made his his uh, fortune doing oil, but that wasn't really his passion. His passion was around astronomy. Hmm. And once those two things linked up, then he was very generous because people who have great wealth typically are very generous. That's right. Now, Derek, I'm sure that there's uh, an aspect of of development work that requires uh, discernment, requires um, being able to have the you know a, a spirituality aspect to to this raising to raising funds. Mm-hmm. Can you maybe speak about just like what your process is, or like what you what you consider when you're talking about development work? Like what is what is your discernment? How do you how do you go about it? What's this uh, the prayer aspect or the spiritual spirituality aspect when you're raising money or or, or you know, doing whatever Bishop asks you to do to raise money. Absolutely. I think that um, kind of dovetailing off what we were talking about before, uh, the, using the element of the garden, mm-hmm. you know, um, all of us are given gifts and all of us um, have an opportunity to receive those gifts as a gift from God um, and to recognize those gifts and then recognizing that we also have an opportunity to give those gifts back and sort of thanksgiving for the gift that we've given, mm-hmm. we've been given. Um, and we all have a responsibility to discern those gifts, whatever those gifts are. It may be that you're um, that you have means to give. It may mean that you have another talent to give. You know, mm-hmm. like talking on the radio or something. Um, and so, um, so I think that I think that when we when we do fundraising, um, when we ourselves are fundraisers, or when we are the donors, um, we are always called to discern what it is that God is calling us to do. Um, because we ourselves have uh, a responsibility to give, but but also it, it's incredibly life giving mm-hmm. to to be on the other end when you are the donor, as much as it is to be on the side of the ministry who's receiving those funds to receive another result as well. So mm-hmm. uh, I think that we have a responsibility to do that, and so I think it's it's a it's a great it's a great honor and opportunity to be sort of in the seat of being that wire connector mm-hmm. um, to connect people to great missions you know think think for example um the uh, new dining hall at bishop kelly that was just uh, opened i've seen so many of the donors to that which was a very large campaign 20 plus million dollars uh campaign uh the delight on their faces mm-hmm. seeing what the students are now enjoying. Hmm. They, they of course, naturally make that connection between a really good mission, something that's important to their own heart and life, and then seeing it come to fruition. And that's ideally what the development director or the person like myself who is striving to help people connect with their passion uh, likes to see. That's what brings us some joy out of that. Uh, priests and religious and deacons all pray the liturgy of the hours every day, and so two of the hours are morning prayer and evening prayer. Those are considered the hinge hours of the liturgy of the hours. And I add three prayers, three Hail Marys, to the intercessions 
when I pray these prayers privately, when I'm praying the Liturgy of the Hours privately. Uh, a Hail Mary for our benefactors who have died. So since I've been in ministry, I have had many, many benefactors who have helped me with the ministries that I've been involved in, from the parish work that I did to Texas A&M to now here in the diocese. So I want to pray uh, a Hail Mary for the benefactors who have died, for the benefactors who are living, for those men and women who are currently assisting us with all the many needs that we have, and then also for the men and women God is preparing to help us. So that's the, mm. the phrase that I use. For those men and women God is preparing to help us with the work that we're doing. Because, we, I mean, this is something that uh, development work also takes into account, is that we go through phases of life and also, in a sense, phases of wealth. So a person who's brand new out of high school doesn't have, <laughs> he doesn't have any money. Yeah. He may be generous, but his generosity may be $5. That's all the money he has. But as he goes along, he gets more education, or he gets a skilled trade, he gets more experience, he gains this job, he goes to another job, he gets a better job. He begins a business, he sells a business. In all these different phases, he is striving to be a good steward of what God has placed in his life and in his trust. And he, like that gospel passage, he wants to make what God has given him grow. Mm -hmm. And he's going along and he's seeing success, and he's starting to think, I want to I want to give some of this back. I want to find things that I'm passionate about, that I can share this wealth that has been blessed to me, that I can share it with through some kind of project or, mm. or uh, entity, like a diocese or so forth. Uh, three weeks ago, we talked about it on this podcast, three or four weeks ago, I went back to my former assignment, and we had the dedication weekend for the new church at Texas A&M, $33 million building. And again, watching the donors walk into that building with tears in their eyes mm -hmm. to see that 10-year-long project come to fruition, to see the dollars that they made available to that project, uh, whether they were few or many, uh, now come to fruition and seeing the students enjoy what they had been trying to build all this time, that's worth everything. Yeah. You can't put a price on that. Yeah. One thing that I, I love doing in our role here at the diocese, Derek, we get a chance to see a lot of people coming into the diocese as sure. either speakers or, you know, people working with the priests, or um, we get to see a lot of people coming into the diocese who are not from here. And one thing that I always hear is is them saying like, man, you guys are just doing a lot. You guys have a lot of things going going on here that are, that are great, right? You know, whether it's Catholic Church or your Catholic Schools Office or the Alcuin Institute, like all these different things that we're we're doing sure. throughout the diocese, uh, it's noticed by people who who are coming in. Mm -hmm. I think it's awesome too because while we're not a big Catholic population, mm -hmm. we're pretty mighty, right? Like we don't have you know whether it's the 6% or the 12%, somewhere around in there, 6 to 12% Catholic of the population. 
um, we, we do a whole lot. Mm-hmm. And I think that has to do, um, you know, with the generosity of our, you know, of the people here, maybe speak, speak on the generosity of the people here in the Eastern, in Eastern Oklahoma. Yeah, I think it's amazing. I, I think some of the resources that have been given to set up, you know, one thing that Bishop and I talk about when, when you first arrived and I first arrived, we used to always talk about how it's amazing how many endowments and and sort of uh, mm-hmm. great you know infrastructures for ministries like the TU Newman Center or, right. mm-hmm. or whatever it may be have been sort of set up yeah. for success. Uh, so many ministries are craving oh you know starting now saying you know it's finally time we start start that endowment or that yeah. you know or whatever it may be to help fund things. And so I think here in Tulsa we have a great history of. Catholics within the community who have been community leaders, who have um, sort of laid the the foundation for yep. for success, and and we benefit from that. And so we also have a call to discern how can we yep. take it to the next level? How do we multiply that effect uh, moving forward in the future? Yeah, Bishop Slattery uh, did so much to establish the diocese on a firm financial footing. But, you know, maybe one image to capture this is the cathedral itself. A Holy Family Cathedral was built as a parish church. It wasn't built as a cathedral. It was built as a parish church. Well, man, that's quite a parish church, huh? Mm-hmm. So uh, towns go through ups and downs, and so it was a booming time, and there was perhaps more money per capita available at the time to build such a structure. Mm-hmm. But we still enjoy it a hundred years later. We're still enjoying this building. So those people put their dollars and cents into this project a hundred years ago for their own use, yes, but for the for the future. And here we are still enjoying it. Derek, let me ask you, uh, like, I, I know we're, we, we've bargained, uh, we've got more time than we bargained for with you already. But uh, I had a question on, for those who are maybe just, coming into the church or maybe in RCIA um, or maybe they just haven't had the opportunity to uh, to give um, but they're saying like they're feeling the call like saying like okay I, I, yep. I, I need to be generous with with what I have maybe walk us through like how would you advise them to discern like here's how we sh- you should give give some money sure I get this question all the time because as somebody who has a lot of conversations, and makes a lot of requests of people to consider a gift. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'll get the question of, well, what do you what do you expect me to do? Am I supposed to, you know, stop giving to mm-hmm. St. Mary's and College Station and stop giving to, you know, this or that ministry or St. Michael Catholic Radio? Mm-hmm. Um, and and my response is always very simple, and it's the same response I would give anybody, which is which is we've done our part in making the request. We we talked to the Lord, and He. He told us, yeah, this is somebody that you should consider asking for a gift. But now I ask of them to do their part and talk to the Lord and figure out, okay, God, what is it you want want me to give to? What is in my heart to give to? Because we all have something to give, Mm -hmm. um, but we also have to do that discernment. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we shouldn't get overwhelmed with the fact that we are being requested, but it should move us to action um, to discern well. Um, and to think about what it is that God is calling us to give to. Um, yeah. So I think that's an important step for all of us. You know, one of the things we we recognized in uh, campus ministry, and it happens also in parishes uh, very much, and certainly in the diocese, 
we had many students who did all kinds of activities around the student center. They became student leaders of the various programs around the student center. But we had also many students who didn't do anything at the student center, but boy, they were busy on campus. Hmm. They were leading different organizations or sororities or uh, fraternities or different student organizations, et cetera. And if you're Catholic and you're doing that, then you're bringing your faith into the world. And that's what we're all supposed to do. They just didn't happen to be doing it at the Catholic Student Center. But we considered them leaders as well. So think the same thing in the, in the parishes. There are people who are doing all kinds of things at the parish. Everybody recognizes and knows them. But there are many other people who are very active in the community uh, who are doing many, many uh, kinds of things out in the community. And so they may not be known at the parish, but they're Catholic and they're leading their Catholic faith out into the community. It's what we all should be doing. And so similarly, when it comes to giving, we have many kinds of passions. Mm -hmm. All of us do. Many things that we're interested in. All of us receive requests for giving in the mail, for example, right? And you you work through them pretty quickly because most of them you don't have a connection to them or you don't have a passion for whatever that is. But every now and then there's one that, oh, oh, I was thinking about that or, oh, that's something I'm interested in. And then that may become a new gift for you, from you. And similarly in parishes or even in the diocese, we may ask someone for a gift to one or another endeavor. It doesn't move them. Mm -hmm. That's an honest response from a generous person who recognizes right. This doesn't really move me, but they're very generous in other areas. I'm still very grateful mm -hmm. to all that they do. It's just that they don't happen to be moved by this particular thing. And so someone else will be. And so it works like that. Yeah. Derek, uh, it's so great to have you back here in the diocese. Uh, your professionalism, your love for the Lord, your desire to see us moving forward and growing and evangelizing the people here in the diocese of Tulsa and Eastern Oklahoma is, um, is, is so appreciated. And, and uh, it, I'm just so grateful to have you back here in the diocese. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Um, any way they can uh, get back in touch with you if they have any questions or want to follow up with you on anything? Yeah, you can just call the office and we're always open to suggestions or opportunities so uh, i think uh yeah you can you can find me on the website or you can find mm -hmm. all the normal places you'd find anyone at the diocese awesome well thanks for hanging out with us today yeah thank you yeah it's been great this is tall's time with bishop condola we'll see you guys next week Follow and subscribe in your podcast app for updates and notifications when new content is released. And thank you for listening. Together, our faith goes further.